The following episode contains descriptions of gore and graphic body horror. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The following is an excerpt from Charles Dickens' short story, The Signal Man. Drawing nearer to him, I saw that he was a dark, sallow man with a dark beard and rather heavy eyebrows. His post was in as solitary and dismal a place as ever I saw. On either side, a dripping wet wall of jagged stone excluding all view but a strip of sky and the gloomier entrance to a black tunnel in whose massive architecture there was a barbarous, depressing and forbidding air. So little sunlight ever found its way to this spot that it had an earthy, deadly smell and so much cold wind rushed through it that it struck chill to me as if I had left the natural world. There was something in the man that daunted me. The monstrous thought came into my mind as I perused the fixed eyes and the saturnine face that this was a spirit, not a man. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story, The Signal Man, comes from renowned English author Charles Dickens. Though the story is a tale of spectral fiction, it may have been inspired by Dickens' own very real near-death experience. On June 9, 1865, the author was traveling by train through southwest England when the mechanic in charge misread the timetables. He didn't realize Dickens' train was headed for a section of unfinished railroad track until it was too late. The train derailed, killing 10 of the 100 passengers and injuring many more. A year later, in 1866, in the Christmas edition of the literary periodical All the Year Round, Dickens published The Signal Man. The tale was supernatural, but it also preyed on very real fears of the Victorian era. At the time, the Industrial Revolution was defined by rail travel, and The Signal Man explores the thrill and the terror that these new machines inspired in British society. Key to the train systems of the era was a signal man, a railroad employee whose complex job entailed managing schedules and preventing crashes using a series of lights and flags. The hours were long, 
Many were improperly trained as regulations for the job at the time had not been adequately developed, and rail-related deaths were somewhat common. But though signaling was a difficult task in daylight, it was even harder in the dark of night, when the fog makes it hard to distinguish a man from a ghost. I will tell this story from the point of view of Jack, an anxious traveler who, after missing his train, seeks out the station's old signalman. But what Jack learns from the strange rail worker makes him regret he ever set foot on the tracks. For Jack learns that the signalman's realm is no place for mortal men. Coming up, we'll hear an ominous railroad prophecy. I've always hated railways. I hate the way they make the ground rumble as if some mammoth creature is rising from their grave. I hate the mass of people pushing against each other on the platform, fighting their way out. And I hate how the walls of the train car close in on you, stealing the breath from your lungs. In essence, you're trapped in a speeding box, praying that it won't derail or hit another speeding box. Still, one has to use railways, regardless of the anxiety they inspire. But today, I feel that I may never set foot on a train again. I cannot, or I will meet an untimely end. Last month, I missed the 6.45 train to Dorchester. I'd moved through the crowd as best I could, but the rush of sound and motion was too overwhelming. I got turned around and had to step outside the flow of traffic to catch my breath. But when I looked up, the train was speeding away. A little girl gave me a half-hearted wave from the window. I related to her lack of enthusiasm. I was meant to meet my family for a holiday, and my wife would not be pleased that I missed my train. I had to wait for the next one. I took a seat on a bench and watched the rain obscure the sunset. The quiet platform should have been comforting, but being alone in a space where people were supposed to be was alarming in its own right. I felt as though I was trespassing in this dirty, wet, echoing place. I got to my feet and started to pace. But as I did, I caught sight of a blur down on the train tracks, located some distance away. I stepped to the edge of the platform to investigate. It was not a blur but a man in a full railway station outfit. He looked small from where I stood on the platform, as one might look in a grave. The flag in his hand indicated his position for the railroad. He was a signal man. I called out, Hello, below there. The man's back tensed and his eyes went wide. But despite the empty platform, he was not looking at me. Instead, he gazed down the tracks to where the red signal light glowed at the end of the black tunnel. He just stood there, looking at the light. I cleared my throat and waved. 
<clears throat> Hello? Below there! This time, he looked up. The years had not been kind to the signal man. He was hunched and grizzled, his white beard caked with the grime of the engines. Deep lines crisscrossed his face like a railway map. His skin was thin and near translucent. He did not look well at all. Still, I had roughly two more hours to wait for my train, and I would much rather do so in this man's company than alone in the evening mist. I asked, Could I find a way down to you? The man looked at me, horrified, as if he was facing some ghastly spectre. Then I felt the platform start to quiver. A train was coming. Puffs of white smoke rose up, obscuring my view. Then a screech that sounded more like an inhuman creature than a whistle broke the silence. The train roared into the station, an iron behemoth thundering to a stop. To my horror, I realized that I had not seen the signal man leave the tracks. Awful visions filled my head. A man split in two, his screams drowned out by that horrible whistle. An outstretched hand separated from the body, entirely intact, while the torso was crushed beneath the wheels. I had experiences to inform these visions. I begged my mind not to revisit them, blinking hard to clear them from my head. People stepped out of the train and crowded the platform, as though they had conspired to crush me. I gasped for air, but it wasn't enough. Only when the crowd trickled out was I able to take a deep breath of that familiar grey London air. With my heart pounding in my chest, I prayed that my gruesome visions of the signal man were anxiety, not prophecy. Then I walked to the edge of the platform and called out to him. The signal man's capped head appeared on the other side of the tracks. He waved me over, insistent. His fears seemed to have been replaced by some urgent need. I hesitated. To reach my new friend would now require crossing the rail tracks, and I was hardly eager to do so. The thought of it tugged at a memory I'd worked hard to suppress. My eldest sister, Evelyn, who was crushed on those very tracks when I was young. It was the early days of trains, and timetables were irregular. One didn't expect to be confronted by a great metal monster as you crossed the road, but now it was a thrice-daily occurrence. I wasn't there at the time, but my mother saw it happen and recounted it in vivid detail. She was never the same after Evelyn's death. In the past, I had done my best to avoid this station, but some bit of hubris in me thought I was ready to claim the crossing as my own. Failing to fight the crowd earlier and missing my train had been a misstep. But I was resolved now. I would face my fears. It took me a moment to find the steps to the rails below, but I managed. As I climbed down from the platform, my foot nearly slid across the rain-soaked iron grates. I did not want to run across the tracks, the ground still trembled beneath my feet, and I couldn't be sure that it was an echo of the previous train or a harbinger of the next one. I glanced at the dark tunnel and then over to the signal man. If he was good at his job, there would be no new train. I took a deep breath. Then I ran as though the devil's hounds were chasing me. I expected the man to laugh, 
but he looked at me with a strange pity, like I wasn't entirely human. Still, he ushered me toward his small booth beside the tracks. We stood there, not a word passing between us as the signalman gave me a haunted stare. I could take it no longer, so I broke the silence. Do I have something on my face? He blinked, coming out of a daze, but did not laugh. Instead, he asked if we had met before. I chuckled. <laughs> yes, moments ago. I was the man calling out to you from the platform. He paused, then turned his head to the left and looked toward the dark tunnel. The warning light had switched to white, all clear. He muttered. No, <gasps> I saw you over there years ago. <sighs> or someone like you. I thought of my sister, and my smile faded. She and I looked much alike, and she did enjoy borrowing my coats on blustery days. My blood ran cold at the thought of this man witnessing Evelyn's death. Then the ground shook under our feet, and the light in the distance switched from white to red. Panic gripped me. I did not want to be close to that monstrous machine as it clattered down the tracks. Just then, I saw the train coming so close that it looked as though the mechanical beast was charging right toward us. The man clenched the cravat around my neck and yanked me inside the open door of his booth. The train whistle screamed and I shut my eyes. I had a horrid vision of the train smashing the booth into a thousand pieces. The old man and I would be indistinguishable from each other just bits of flesh and blood splattered along the rails. I felt a column of wind rush past us and the whole world shook. Then there was silence. I opened my eyes to find myself standing beside the signalman inside his tiny booth. We'd made it. I could have kissed the man for keeping me safe. But when I looked at him, he wasn't smiling. I laughed. Cheer up, old man. You pulled us out of harm's way. I did not expect him to be so shaken. He closed the door to the booth and sat down at a small table, shaking his head slowly. It's not safe. Not here. And not on the railway. He certainly wasn't helping my nerves. I had to ask. Why ever not? His eyes glinted in the darkness, brighter than a person should. The signalman's voice was low as he answered, Because I've killed three people here. Coming up, the signalman spins a tale of tragedy. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loie, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. 
Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. Now, back to the story. I felt the grey walls of the signalman's tiny booth closing in on me. The ground hummed beneath my feet. I hated trains. And here I was in yet another dangerously small box, with an old man who had just admitted that he was a murderer. One who had killed three people. My eyes flew to the door of the booth. To flee, I'd have to dash across two sets of tracks. I didn't know the schedule as well as the signalman. For all I knew, he could be baiting me into running at the exact moment where I would be struck by a train. I scanned the room, my palms sweating. The only potential weapon I could see was a thin letter opener lying on the desk behind him. I was younger than he was by many years. There was a chance that I could reach it before he did. But when I glanced at the man, he wasn't looking at me at all. Instead, his eyes were fixed on the bell above the desk. There was a sadness to his gaze that didn't fit with his ominous confession. For a moment, I thought to call his bluff. But only a fool would call a man a liar when he admitted something so horrific out loud. And yet, I could not help but observe that there was no malice in his manner, only weariness and pain. I knew that suffering, and I could not keep myself from wanting to help him. He looked back to the signal light. It was as good a starting point for a conversation as any, so I asked, Are you waiting for something? He looked back at me. <clears throat> what do you see when you look down there? I stared in the same direction. I feared this was some strange test that I was doomed to fail. I told him, I see a red light and a large tunnel, and the railway tracks, of course, which lead into the tunnel. What do you see? He took a deep breath, then said, A man who looks like you. My heart stopped. This was the second bewildering sentence he'd spoken in a handful of minutes. I looked again, but I saw no man standing down the tracks. We were the only two souls in the entire vicinity. Perhaps, I thought, the signal man was struck by more than just melancholia. Perhaps he had some infection of the mind. I tried to make light of it. Well, I'm right here, sir. I couldn't possibly be in two places at once. He shook his head. Each terrible time, it is always the same. Though the person standing there is always different. Some unfortunate soul calls to me from the tunnel 
one hand over their face, and the other waving frantically, as if to say, Look out! Clear the way! But when I approach, there is no one. Not even a footprint. But then, there is always death. The signal man gazed, transfixed at the tunnel, and continued. The first was a horrible collision. Driver error. I had to clear the tracks of all the crushed skulls and severed limbs. Sometimes, I can still smell the mix of iron and blood. But one body was intact. Well, his face was blown away. But I knew those clothes. It was the man by the tunnel from earlier. The man who begged me to clear the way for something I could not see coming. His entire body shook, as if in that moment he was inhaling that noxious scent of steel and death. Then he said, The second accident was smaller. A woman. If he was talking about Evelyn, I didn't need to know about the agony of her last few moments. I don't wish to interrupt, I said, though my feelings were quite the opposite. But you are not a murderer at all. That first collision was the conductor's fault, not yours. It was at least one thing I could rest easy about. He sighed. <sighs> but the dead man asked me to clear the way, and I could not clear it. Then he stared at me again and said, <gasps> The woman was my fault. I tensed at the notion that this man had witnessed my family's greatest tragedy. But this time, I could not bring myself to stop him from continuing. The signal man told me that the young woman was standing by the tunnel, her face obscured, waving just like the man had before her. He tried to come to her aid, but each time he left his signal booth, she was gone. As he looked for her, he missed the bell twice. He was relieved that a tragedy hadn't occurred while he was absent, and when the woman never came back, he decided it was a coincidence. Hours later, he flipped the light for the last train to cross when he thought he heard the bell ringing at his desk, but when he looked, it was silent. So he stuck his head out the door to look himself. The signal man shook his head slowly. <sighs> I'm once glad I did, and wish I never had. For there was a woman darting across the tracks. I saw a hat blowing toward the tunnel. I think she was trying to catch it. He explained to me that he tried to flip the switch, but it didn't respond. He tried again. Nothing. He then rushed out of the booth, his hands in the air, waving for the train conductor to see. In that moment, the woman's hand closed around the hat, and she held it up with a victorious smile. Right before the train barreled straight through her. The signal man hung his head. The conductor was in tears as the train pulled to a stop. I tried to pull him away from the controls, but his gaze was fixed on the tracks. 
You see, the poor girl's head was not clean of her body. The man then shuddered, his eyes gleaming with tears. I too was close to tears, thanks to this terrible coincidence. The only detail I had of my sister's death was that her head had come off, perfectly intact with her usual look of wide-eyed wonder. It was the thing my mother would repeat over and over during her many rants after Evelyn died, even when I could hardly stand to hear it again. I felt rage then, sitting in that tiny signal booth. Anger is so rare for me, I barely recognized it, and I did not know where it wished to land. On Evelyn for her carelessness, the train driver for his likely exhaustion, or the signal man for failing to heed the ghostly warning. Regardless of who held that blame, I decided not to tell him that that unfortunate young woman was in fact my sister. I could hardly stand the coincidence myself. I heard the bell clang again and wished it would stop. I wished I hadn't missed my train or felt compelled to fill the silence with this strange old man's company. My own treacherous thoughts were better than this. I reluctantly waited inside with him as a train came barreling down the tracks. I thought I was accustomed to trains passing by now, but fear gripped me just the same. I was still seeing images of Evelyn's severed head. Needing something to pull me from my morbid thoughts, I looked down to where the white light flashed. The old man flipped the lantern and then it turned red. I had my misgivings about him, but as the signal man watched the train vanish down the dark tunnel, he appeared inconsolable. I found myself in the curious position of comforting the man who'd seen my sister die. I told him, we can't change our past, no matter how much we may want to. Then I found myself remembering what he had mentioned at the start of his awful story, that he had seen me on the tracks sometime before. So I asked him, why did you think I was your oracle spirit earlier? I have never been near that tunnel until today. The signal man sighed. I saw you by the tunnel. I did. I shook my head. I had no distinctive clothes or manners, and my looks were quite common in London. He must have made a mistake. I told him, no, I was up on the platform, nowhere near the tunnel. But the signal man would not be deterred. It may have not been you, not then, but it will be. I saw you waving in the tunnel. <gasps> and you spoke the words the other lost souls did. I knew I should have stopped humoring the old man and gone up to the platform where I could spin my own nightmare fantasies. But I could not stop myself from asking, well, what did they say? The man put his head in his hands. Then he said the words that grasped my throat and squeezed. They said, hello, below there. That was exactly the phrase I had called out to him from the other side of the tracks. I wanted to say it was a coincidence. I wanted to say he was a superstitious old fool who'd misheard my greeting and thought it came from the tunnel. But it was 
eerie that I had said the same thing as Evelyn and the other man who'd both been obliterated by the thunder of the trains. Somehow, sitting in that dark world between coming and going, rail and sky, I believe the signalman's story. Then, with a chill, I realized something. So, when you say you've killed three people, you mean... I couldn't continue, but I didn't have to, for the signal man rasped. Yes, you will be the third, and I will be forced to watch. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back next time with the conclusion to our adaptation of Charles Dickens' The Signal Man. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden.